0: Well, good morning, chilly At first, it's so good to see you this morning. Hey, a couple quick things. First, next week, we are starting a new series. Uh, it's kind of confusing because we're calling it the Best Summer Unseries. And we kind of figured that during the summer it would be best, usually we allow series to guide our teaching. And we figured that because people would be gone, and we're glad that you were getting out, you're taking Sabbath. And we recognize that mission is in the community, not necessarily here. So we're glad that you're taking time out. But we figured that because you may miss a Sunday here and there, that we want every message to stand alone and speak to you in that moment. And so we're calling it, we figured it'd be best during summer not to do a series, so we're calling it the best summer Unseries, if that's actually a word. I'm not sure that it is. Uh, The other thing is June 25th, we have this massive convention that uh, is Indianapolis. And I, I get that many of you will not be here. A lot of our pastors will not be here. So I know this is really a crazy thought, but we're actually taking June 25th. We will not have church here. Uh, I know, I can't believe it, right? But we're encouraging you to, one, either stay home and enjoy life, or two, go to another church. I know I shouldn't say that, but just promise you'll come back here. Go to another church, and then come back and let us know what those churches did well. Maybe you'll find something that you think, hey, I think our church could do that, or they should do this. So we would encourage you on the 25th to either just hang with your family, Just be refreshed by what God wants to do through just rest and then or just go to another church for a week, not forever. (laughs) A couple things coming up. Uh, If you missed it last week, uh, then you missed a big week last week. We started our new series, Invest. And last week we learned about a letter that was written to a, a, a community, an extravagant church who had a lot of money, but they weren't giving any of it. And so we found that this gentleman named Paul writes a letter to this church, this extravagant church, about extraordinary churches who are doing something really well. In fact, he says this: He says, Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty have welled up into, do you remember it? Rich generosity. Rich generosity. And he challenges this extravagant church by telling them about this extraordinary church. And he asks, he says, I need you to get in with the grace of giving. And last week we said this, that in order to practice the grace of giving, you have to experience the grace that God has given you. That you can't give something from something you haven't experienced. And so he said that in order to participate in the grace of giving, you have to follow first. That if you don't know Christ, if you haven't experienced his mercy, then you'll have no starting point from where to give. And so we asked you to either follow. And if you're already following, we called you to the more to participate in the practice of giving. And we asked this question, who does that money go to? Which, which you should ask that question, right? That's a great question. And we learned that Paul has a little bit of a beef, or actually Peter has a little bit of a beef with Paul. And Peter's in Jerusalem and Paul's going around the world And we learned that they had a bit of difference about how ministry should be done. So Paul is called to Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem. And Peter says, Paul, there are people that I can't reach that you're going to reach. And there are people that I can reach that you can't reach. So let's just agree to disagree on how ministry is done. You go, you separate way. We'll give you the right hand of the church. And then he says this line. And this is where we're going to leave off today. He says, promise me when you are planting churches, when hundreds of thousands of people come to know Christ, to become followers of the way, promise me this, that you will remember the poor. And so Paul says, this is why we are collecting this grace of giving. It is for the church in Jerusalem has become impoverished, who has become persecuted, has become poor. And so today that's where we're leaving off, that we are a people who will remember The poor, And if you missed last week, go back and watch it online or listen to it so you'll understand a framework for this week. Would you pray for me before we begin? Lord, we give thanks for this day that you've given us, for this time together. What a joy it is to be in your presence and to worship you and to bring you glory. I pray today that we would be challenged and we would be moved in some way to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I find it ironic that much of life for people is defined by what they can't do rather than what they can do. Now, if you've been in the church any time or you've been a Christian for any time, you might resonate with this, that much of the Christian life is defined by what we can't do rather than what we can do. This has been my experience as a pastor. Often people will say, Pastor, you can't do that. There were three specific uh, uh, instances that I thought of this last week where somebody said to me, you can't do that. The first one was in my master's class. In my master's class, we were talking about black churches and white churches and Hispanic churches and, 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 and why there are so many segregated churches on Sunday. And we were talking about this idea of multicultural churches. And somebody, the professor in the class, I won't point him out, but the professor in the class, said it is nearly impossible to have multicultural churches because people can't get over their cultural differences. You can't do it. Another time, I had a mentor of mine, somebody that taught me in college, uh, saw him at the Compassion Conference last year, and I was explaining to him about our church, where we've come over the last year, where we started, and I said to him, you know, we are a church that was very me-centered, and we are trying to become an outpouring kind of church. Like, we want to move outside the walls. We want to become very missional in identity. And it's funny, he said to me, you can't do it. That's encouraging. He said, I took over a church that was stagnant and stable and nobody wanted to move. And I went in there and I tried to do something different. And they said, nope, we're not going to do it. So he said, I'm telling you now, pastor, you won't make it. You probably should look for a new job. It's encouraging, very encouraging. The other time in my life as a pastor, I wanted to be a church planner. And it's not out of the equation, uh, planning churches, we, we believe in that, but I was meeting with a, a, a church planner and a coach who asked me this question, how would you like to start your church? It's a really good question. I said, I have this dream, I know it's crazy, uh, but I would like to start a church that meets the needs of the poor, that we will start with the basic needs of humanity, and then we will, we will meet those needs, and we will draw them in, and we will build a church. By meeting the needs of those who need it. And he said, I hate to tell you this, pastor, but you can't do it. You can't build the church off the backs of the poor. Can I tell you what I'm learning as your pastor today? Is it okay that I share with you what I'm learning? See, I'm learning that teachers and theologians and scholars and church planners and coaches and even pastors, including myself, well, maybe not myself in this part, are smart and well-informed, but they're not God. You see, they may speak from experience, but often experience produces advice that's reasonable, not unrational. And, And I don't know if you know this or not, but we believe in a God who showed up in the form of a man who resurrected himself to life, and is that rational by any means? No, it's completely unrational. And I think that is where God uses people is where they step up to the plate and they will say, I will use the faith that you have given me. I will move into the unrational and I will grow to a point where you will use me like you've never used me before. And I will not be defined by what I can't do, but what I will do and what I can do. See, we said once earlier on that can't is the language of original sin. I like that. But I wrote it, so of course I would like it. Can can I just say this this morning? We are canning Joliet first. We are no longer defined by the cant of life. You see, we have amazing people in this church who have opened up their consciousness to a new way of existence in this life. And we are no longer just doing church, but we are being the church in the world. And so I love it when they say, you know what, you can't take a church pastor that's me-centered and move it to an outpouring church that's Uh, 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 missional-driven. I'm here to tell you, you're wrong. You might be older than me, you might be wiser than me, but I'm telling you again, you're not God. Because God is in this church, He's in this place, He's in this moment, He is in you, He is in me, and we are a movement. And I love it. We will not be defined by the can't, Julie, At first. You are recognizing that we have mission. We have purpose. We are becoming a community of hope. And we are giving grace to the world. It angers me when a coach and church planner says, You can't build a church off the backs of the poor. Well, you know what? He may be right about that. We may not be able to build churches build a church off the backs of the poor, but we will build a church with the poor. You see, we're not a rich church. We don't have a lot of money. Well, I know churches where single donors give more than what all of us make combined. Crazy. But at this church, we're not about money. We're about mission, which is why we're preaching today, to remember the poor. We're preaching about mission, and there are some of you this morning Who have very little in life, but you have brought a lot to the table. And what I mean is you recognize that your job is a place of mission. And you have said to people who are in desperate need of hope, I need you to come with me to a community that will give you something new. That will give you something fresh. That will make you alive. So there are some of you here today who have brought nearly your entire workforce to this church. And I want to thank you for that. That's amazing. I've learned that, that there are people who have very little, and the reason they trust is because they don't have. But there are people who have much, and they only trust in what they have. Jesus himself said, it is impossible, nearly impossible, for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I find it funny that Jesus himself Builds his entire movement on the disenfranchised, the marginalized, and the poor. And a coach, church planner tells me, You can't do it. And Jesus says, I'm doing it, and you'll do even greater things. I'm telling you, we are a people who are on the move. We won't be stopped, we won't be told we can't do something. So this morning, I need you to understand we are making an investment. We are going to remember the poor, and we're going to do that by becoming the edges. And you're saying, some of you have been here for a while, you know what I'm talking about. Pastor, I know what you mean by those edges. (sighs) This morning, we're going to look at one verse. I usually preach from a whole chapter. But this morning, we're going to look at one verse, and we're going to look at one word in Leviticus. Now, I know many of you think that Leviticus is a replacement for Lunesta. Those of you on Lunesta get that. I get that Leviticus for most of us is about ritual and routine and it puts us in a day state of confusion where we just want to fall asleep. But what if I told you this morning that Leviticus is about a community named Israel becoming the edge to the world? You see, the book opens up with the words, the Lord, and Leviticus introduces us to a God who rescues people from the very thing that they are enslaved to. So, what we need to know is that this is a God who is different from any other kind of God who is forming a different community like no other community. To understand that, you need to know that in ancient Eastern times, communities were formed by codes. And do you know who formed the codes? The kings. The kings. Communities were formed by codes, and codes were formed by kings. And the laws and the codes were nearly all civil laws that governed society, but they only protected the rights of the wealthy and the powerful. I know that doesn't sound familiar to us today, but that's how it was back then. They only protected the rights of the wealthy and the powerful. So Leviticus then is about a community whose existence and purpose in the world is rooted in an experience of a different God which is about making them a different kind of people who is not ruled by a king but is ruled by community. So Leviticus then is grounding people in community, not king. And so this new tribe, this new tribe of Israel assumes the identity and the very attributes of a god hears the cry of the slaves and is the defender of the pressed. And oh, by the way, shows up in history and says, I am the God of grace and love and compassion. Here I am. That's Leviticus. You didn't know Leviticus could be so exciting, did you? So this morning we're going to be in Leviticus uh, chapter 23. And we're going to be reading from verse 22. If we go straight to verse 22. Hear this this morning. Now remember, Leviticus is about forming a new community. He says, the writer of Leviticus says, When you reap, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for who? The poor and the foreigner. And typically those lumped in are the widow and the orphan. For I am the Lord your God. When you reap the harvest of your land, leave the very edges of your field. This morning, we're going to work with this idea of edge. The translation there actually in Hebrew is peah, P-E apostrophe A, A A-H, peah. Say that with me, peah. You guys are smart. (laughs) The word edge, edge or edges actually means starting point or ending point. Starting point or ending point? Now, I'm a simple-minded person, but I went through this this week, and I thought to myself, ready to rack your brain, is it possible to have a starting point without an ending point? Is it possible to actually finish something that you've never started in the first place? I mean, think about this with me. Like, if you start something, at some point, whether it's a completed project or not, you have to finish for the day. If I'm working on restoring these benches in front of me, the reality is at some point, whether they're done or not, I have to go home. And I know that there are some of us in life who actually never complete any projects. We just leave them open-ended, right? Which actually means they're a finite term to the project that you started. And again, can you actually end at something that you never started? Let's use an example this morning. How many of you have ever been to a pool party? How many of you like pool parties? Yeah, okay, good. Where does a pool party start? Many of you have received an invitation from a friend. There's somebody that you know who has mailed you, emailed you, Facebooked you, Twittered you, whatever you, and invited you to come to a pool party. Now, can you, we look at the invitation as the starting point. Can you actually experience the fullness of a pool party if you only accept the invitation? No. You have to go. And if you go to the pool party and you decide, I don't want to get wet today, and you sit outside of the pool while everybody else is in, are you actually experiencing the pool party? No. See, you may have accepted the invitation, which is a starting point, but the whole point of a pool party is that you jump in, that you're surrounded with thousands of gallons of water, beautiful sun, lots of fun, throwing people in, cannonballs, you name it. It's fun. Eating pizza. You can't eat pizza. And not have a pool party. This is the entirety of what life is about when it comes to pool parties. You have to get in to enjoy it. It's about drawing people into something more than just an invitation. So my question this morning is this. What if the pool is a fresh and amazing and a visceral experience of God? And the starting point and the ending point is a tribe and a community called the church. See, this Leviticus passage wants us to envision us as the edges. You see, it is about meeting humanity's basic needs. Edges are the invitation. You see, when you clothe someone, when you call someone, when you give somebody a ride, when you house somebody... When you babysit somebody's kids, you on its own are presenting the edges to the world. You are inviting them into something deeper. This is the good news. You see, the good news is not always walking up to people and saying, you're a sinner, you needed to know Jesus, or you're going to hell. I'm sorry, that's not good news. Good news is when I have a need, and you come up to me and you say, how can I help you? See, I truly believe you can't can't reach people for Jesus unless you start with their basic need. And that's what good news is. So when we leave edges, when we talk about edges, we're actually talking about drawing people into the fullness of an experience. That we just don't start there. It's not just an invitation, but we're drawing them into a community that's moving. And what I love about pool parties and what I love about the church is this is a story, although it may have ended, we might end Sunday, but this is a story that replicates itself Monday through Saturday. You see, when you leave a pool party, when Dan comes back from Florida, you say, Dan, you are so tan. Woo! And Dan will say, you know, I was in Florida, and I, and he tells you something that makes you want to be in Florida. When you experience God, when you experience his mercy, when you become part of a church that is geared toward restoring the lost and broken, this is a story that replicates itself every day, every week, within your jobs, within your lives, and people look at you and know something is different. So edges, I think, are the starting and the ending point. That it is the completion of an experience, which leads us to the next point. When we talk about edge, there is a rewritten narrative of property ownership. Now, I know this doesn't make sense, but it is a rewritten narrative of property ownership. In other words, we move from invitation to inclusion. Why is it that when we talk about the poor... When we talk about giving to the poor, we always put parameters around them on how we'll give to them. You see, what edges and what Peah actually describes to us is you can't put perimeters around them and tell them how you're going to give to the poor. Actually, they're already in your perimeter. Now, this is going to make sense here in a second, I hope anyway. But the whole point, when we give to people in need, we give out of our abundance, It's like this superior position that says, I am better than you, and I will now give you what you don't have. But according to the understanding of what we're talking about in Leviticus, the portion of the poor is already in your produce. Am I getting through this morning? In other words, when he says to you, leave the edges of the field, by the way, that is not yours on the edge. The poor's is already there in front of you. So we talk about perimeters, you know, we'll give to you if you do this, 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 and this. When the reality is, there is no this, 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 and this. They are right there next to you, and they get what you already have. That's why he says in the very beginning. He says in the very beginning, in verse 22, he says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the edges of your field. When he says you, we don't get this in our Bible, but it's actually plural. Plural and you're saying well why is that important because what's implied here is that we do not reap our own fields if you are the owner you are not the only one that reaps the fields it is the poor it is the widow it is the orphan it is the foreigner who are standing there with you and we do this as a community because if you reap alone you are stealing from people who's you're stealing people's produce you are stealing what is theirs And that's why he warns them, do not do this alone. Did you know that they actually could not consider, they couldn't consider the money that they earned their own until they had portioned out what was somebody else's. So we learn from Leviticus, ownership as a shared initiative of the community. So we see that it's a starting point. It's an ending point. It's recognizing that what you have is already somebody else's. This is what paya, this is what edges are all about. And so people will say to me, Pastor, I had a young lady I met with the other day. She said to me, why the Church of the Nazarene? Why, why did you pick that name? By the way, I didn't pick that name. Uh, we are part of a group of churches, connected churches, And I said, that's a really good question. There are lots of things I don't like about the overall church of the Nazarene, but there are some things that I absolutely love. And one of them is how our mission of the church was started. So I I went on to explain to her that that this word Nazarene, actually, when when we see it in the Bible, they talk about it as nothing good can come out of it. So the very mission of our church is to see the good in people that nobody else will see. That we will, we will see in people what the rest of the world wants nothing to do with. And we started in the projects of L.A. when all the other churches were moving out. Our church said we will stay right here and we will work with the drug addicts. We will work with the alcoholics. We will work with the homeless. We will be there. We will be the edges for the poor. We are PEA. We are the edges. That's what our church started on. And so we have this little document, uh, it's called a manual, and I really hate that language. And it's really good, um, again, it's more like Leviticus, you know, it's great if you want to fall asleep. But, uh, but there's a part of the manual I always use. You see, when you covenant with our church, you, you commit to this very thing. I think we have it on the screen, I want to read this to you. This is actually what we wrote as a church. Throughout the Bible and the life of Jesus, God identifies with, And assist the poor, the oppressed, and those in society who cannot speak for themselves. In the same way, we too are called to identify with and to, I love this, enter into, say it with me, solidarity. It's not just an acknowledgement. Okay, yep, you're poor. I see that. You have a need. Yep, mm, there we go. No, no, no. It is as if you enter into who they are as a person. And you become part of their situation. This is what we call empathy. So we enter into solidarity with the poor. We hold that compassionate ministry to the poor includes acts of charity, as well as a struggle to provide opportunity, equality, and justice for the poor. I know there's that equality word again. We further believe the Christian's responsibility to the poor is an essential aspect of the life of, what's it say? every believer. You see, you come here and you say, "Mm, yeah, not my thing. Mission trip, not my thing. Poor people, not my thing. Homeless, not my thing. I'll just come to church and I'll just show up. Not my thing. I'm sorry. But in this church, we believe every believer has a responsibility. You have no excuse. If you want to be comfortable, go to another church. Go somewhere else. If you want to show up and not be seen and not have a responsibility, go somewhere else. Now, I, I realize I don't I really don't want to say that to you, but, but that's that's, how, that's what we believe. We have mission. We have purpose. And if you simply come to sit, you're missing out. Every believer who seeks a faith that works through love, we believe Christian holiness to be inseparable from ministry to the poor. I love that. We will remember the poor. That's who we are. Julie, at first, you have been an example. You have been an amazing example over the last year of what that looks like. We have a young lady in our church named Mariel who came to us about a year ago. And when she came to us, she was pregnant and she was transitioning in life. She didn't have permanent housing, so in some sense she was homeless. But I remember she showed up to our church one morning and and we met her and everybody was so friendly. And The edges for us to her was throwing her a baby shower. We had a group of women in the church who said, you know what, we recognize that you're in the middle of transition, that you don't have much, but in this moment, we're gonna we're gonna give you a baby shower. We're gonna be the edges. This is just the beginning. It's it's a foretaste of what's to come in this life and in our community. Mariel had this beautiful little girl named Naomi. She is adorable. If you haven't had a chance to hold her, you should. And there were complications with the birth, and, and, and she had some medical complications that she was very nervous about. But we had a group of people, you, who surrounded her in those moments, who helped her and walked alongside her in her faith. And when she got out of the hospital and she had Naomi, she, she came a, a, across an apartment that was, was gifted to her. And, of course, when you get an apartment and you don't have much, you need something in the apartment. And so Mariel decided she was going to go all in with our church. She joined a, a small group, and the small group, they grew together, and they, they they essentially furnished her entire apartment. They gave what was already hers, by the way. Not yours, not mine, but already hers. You gave her portion to her. And what's beautiful, as we've been saying, is this is a story that replicates itself. You see, we believe in restoration, that we will store people into the image of hope. And as you've helped her and loved her and eventually you bought her a car, which is amazing, she is now wanting to participate in the grace of giving. This is a story that replicates. And she said, you know what, I would like to be part, I would like to be an apprentice for Hope Closet. So here is somebody who went from nothing to gaining a community that loves her to death. And now she is able to stand at those front doors on a Saturday morning and say, how can we help you? Well, what can I do for you that you can't do for yourself? How can I clothe you? How can I be the edge? She's given back. She remembers where she was. As we said before, you can only give out of what you've experienced. She knows what it's like. And so she's investing. This morning, if you haven't heard anything yet, I need you to wake up because I need you to hear this. If you have been part of this church your entire life, if you have been baptized in this church, if you have covenanted with this church, become a member of this church, then you are agreeing at this very moment to live life on the edge. We are going to be a radical people. We are not going to be defined by the cans anymore, but we will move into the cans, and we will be radical. We will be a movement that, that takes over Joliet, that everybody will look and say, who are these people? Who are these crazy lunatics who see the good where we can't? We will live life on the edge, but we will also become the edge. So you're saying to me, how do we do that this morning? That's a, that's a really good question. We're starting a new initiative called Project 23. You've got these cool little bracelets in your hand. Now, my sons went to my grandparents, or his, their grandparents' church the other day, and they got cool bracelets that you can sing into, and they light up when you sing. So we're not as cool, but uh, uh, and our kids will be disappointed, but... Hey, who cares? Um, We started a new initiative called Project 23. And Project 23 is designed to do exactly what we're talking about this morning, that what we give will go to the poor. We will remember the poor by this. This morning, uh, the way that we're going to do that is we're, we're asking that on Fridays, once a week, that you would fast one meal, that you would give up just one meal, and take the money that you would have spent on that meal and put it in this little Project 23 box we're going to have in the back. It'll be fastened to the wall eventually. And I understand that some of us have medical issues that prohibit us from fasting, but it doesn't mean you can't give. And you're saying, why would I do that? Because when you fast, when your stomach begins to growl, you are in some sense entering into solidarity with the poor. You will know just for a moment what it is like to be hungry. And so it is out of that experience, the hunger of our stomachs, that we will give the very money that feeds it. Because, by the way, it is not yours. It's already somebody else's. The average lunch costs $4 if you're eating at home, $12 if you're eating out. Maybe not in Joliet, $12, but... But I would ask that on Fridays, would you join me in this initiative on Fridays of fasting and then taking the proceeds that we would have spent on lunch and we put it in this Project 23. And that will go to fund people who need help with bills. It will go to fund our community projects where we go out and we show up and we say, what can we do for you that you can't do yourself? We have one July 9th where we are roofing. We are doing concrete. We have a lot of work to be done. And that costs money. So it will go toward that. It'll help people who need a place to stay for just a moment. This is a way of giving back. Now, I get that not all of you will do this. So this morning, what I'm asking for you to do is to show some initiative. This morning, if you are going to agree with me to join me in this new journey of Project 23, would you stand up and put on the very bracelet we gave you? And I just want you to hold your wrist in the air as a way of saying, we will do this together. We will become the edges to the world. We will give to those in need. We will remember the poor as long as this church exists in this community. We will be the edge. And standing this morning, you are acknowledging that you will fast on Friday and you will give on Sunday when you walk through these doors your lunch money. That's all it is. By the way, did you know PAYA is actually 1 60th of your income? I did the math. That would be $2.77 a month. So if you give more than $2.77, you are giving more than your fair share. Look around you. Look around you this morning. Look at the people that are going to join you on this journey. We will do it together. Let me pray. Lord, we give thanks this morning for your goodness to us. Lord, we will always acknowledge that there are people who are needy, and we will not ignore them as long as we were here. We will fight for justice. We will fight for equality. We will fight for love. So in this very moment, Lord, use our small gifts to feed and house those in need. Lord, move us beyond the can'ts, and let us live by what we can do. Let this be the defining moment of who we are as we will be the edge in Jesus name amen you may be seated one of the ways that we respond is by coming forward to the table we believe that these very elements are grace if you're serving this morning would you come forward we believe these these very elements are God's grace speaking into your life so if you've been moved today would you come forward this morning and receive Receive. As we like to say here, the meal is the mission. When you eat, this is what will send you into the community. In Jesus' name.